we are going through a new series called Made to Endure. And so our kind of mantra is that um, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. We, we know that our God does a good job of turning all things into glory. And so um, just want to be talking about kind of what we're going to be going through. Um, who knew what we just went through? Trained by the journey, trained by the journey. And so now that we understand kind of uh, how we are trained by the journey, um, I want to talk about how we are made to endure. And it's really cool because, um, so we can understand that we can endure. Like some of you have been like, yeah, like throughout my whole life, like I have endured. But how many of you know that you were made to endure? And even in the midst of our broken world, in the midst of sin, in the midst of suffering, that God sent his spirit and he sent himself actually and crafted such a way that you would become made to endure even through the midst of this. Amen? Amen. Cool, cool, cool. And so um, what I want to talk about this first week is, uh, the title is uh, Purpose Driven. Purpose Driven. Um, I I was rambling uh, with a couple different titles to kind of really feel like what I felt like the Lord wanted to share. I was going to do like the Purpose Driven Life, but then that sounds too much like Rick Warren, and and I'm not Rick Warren. That's for some of you who know the book. We're not going to be talking about Rick Warren's book. If you want to check out the book, you can check out the book, but we're going to talk about something different. Purpose Driven. And so I was thinking about the idea of Purpose Driven. Any linguistic people here? Any linguistics? People who are a fan of linguistics? One person? I I saw someone point a finger at somebody else. Um, Here we go a couple people. Um, So I love uh, linguistics in the sense that I love language. I love what it communicates and how it communicates, and I feel like sometimes we butcher it, and we we act as if it doesn't mean much. Uh, Shout out to those people who say that every single person is their best friend. I don't think you understand what a best friend is. Linguistics. Linguistics. So the meaning of words. So purpose-driven. So to be driven, right, is, so like, think of it like an engine, like a car, um, is like a vehicle, and then if, if a car is being driven, that means there is something that is driving it, correct? Correct? You, or you guys have engineless cars. Um, so we understand that something is driving it, so it is being driven, and so the thing before it, so engine-driven would mean that a car is being driven by an engine, so purpose-driven means that if we are purpose-driven, then we are being driven, our vehicle, our body, is being going to a certain destination, and that the engine within it is purpose. Does that, that make sense? I try to make that as clear as possible. So purpose-driven. Um, the Lord has really been putting this idea of purpose on my heart for about two and a half months. Uh, I think I had a couple conversations with a couple folks, and it really just, the Lord began to just do something in my heart that was like, man, like, I feel like people, he's like, people really need to know about purpose. Because I feel like it's one, one of the things that we think about all the time, even if we admit it or not, we always think about our purpose, whether we're five years old or whether we're 59 years old. I'm just using random numbers, of course. Um, and then the other thing is that we, we, we think about it so often, and so often we don't know really what it, what it means. It's so puzzling. It's so ambiguous. It's, it's kind of confusing the idea of purpose, and we struggle with it a lot, I feel. I struggle with it a lot, so I just feel like the Lord is going to move because— I struggle with that a lot. Uh, so purpose. So um, to, to really talk about what purpose is, again, my linguistics people, listen up. Um, I want to define purpose just so we can get an understanding because I know that a lot of people have different definitions of things. So purpose, we're going to define it as the reason for which someone is created or for which someone exists. That is purpose. It, it's not too, too lofty. That's not too theological. I, I literally just Googled purpose definition on Google, and that's what showed up. Um, so it's not too crazy. Um, so with that, I, I really just wanted to like, jump right in because I feel like I have a, a lot to share, and I don't want to take you guys for too long. So first, first point, 
But I really want you guys to, to remember this, to, to really key in on this. And for those moments, maybe right now you feel like you have purpose because it's a Sunday morning and you just praise the Lord and you're with all these people and you're like, the rain can't stop me. I'm getting to church. I'm purposeful. I got it. I got it. But during the week, when you don't feel as much, when it's nighttime and you're just struggling, like, because, you know, everyone feels in more despair at night for some reason. That's just what happens in the morning. Things start feeling better even though nothing's changed. Um, so in the dead of night, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of shame and different things like that, I want you to remember these points and these ideas. So first point, everyone has purpose, and we understand our purpose in light of who or what we follow. Is that, is that, like, uh, is that agreeable? Somewhat agreeable? Everyone has purpose. And we understand our purpose in light of who or what we follow. And so to illustrate this idea, kind of, I, I want to look at um, a character in the Bible, and his name is King Solomon. I really want to look at King Solomon. Um, there's an image of him right there, good old King Solomon. Um, if the image helps, kind of gives you an idea, good. Um, if not, you can disregard it. Um, to me, really, as I was Googling this, uh, the image kind of just resembles a really like a hairy Donald Sutherland, um, more than probably what the actual Solomon looked like, because we understand that the actual Solomon was Middle Eastern and was like his father was Middle Eastern, his father was Middle Eastern, so he probably didn't look like Donald Sutherland. But we'll just run with it. We'll run with it. If, for those of you who know Donald Sutherland, you can run with it too. Come on. Hunger Games, anyone from the youth, like Hunger Games, somewhat. Okay, those who are a little bit older, MASH. He was in MASH too. Okay, we'll keep going. So, so King Solomon, right? King Solomon, this is good. Uh, Solomon had everything. How many of you guys know that Solomon had everything you could ever want? Let me, let me just go a little bit. Um, let's look at 2 Chronicles 9.22. If you have a Bible, um, open that thing up. Check out the table of contents. Check out where 2 Chronicles, not 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles. Um, check it out. If you have a Bible app, open that up. Go to it. I know it, it's going to be on the screen too for visual effect, but it's really cool if you can just, just do it on your own and check it out. So that way during the week you already kind of know where things are at. And you can even highlight it so you can go back in the week and highlight that and check it out. Um, also, if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles in the entrance if you would like to grab some. Or, or also in the Doral Vineyard app, we have a Bible section as well. But anyways, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 9, verse 22. This kind of, so right before this, for about two chapters, and then for a chapter after it, uh, the, the author just lists all the stuff that Solomon had. All the things. And it's encapsulated with King Solomon, this verse 22, Second Chronicles chapter 9. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. He's like, if I could just put this into one sentence, he was richer and had more wisdom than any other king on the earth. It was crazy. Israel at this time, because he was actually the last king before it, the kingdom of Israel and Judah split, um, and some, some nonsense and some messy stuff happened there, but he was, he was the last king over the entire nation of Israel, and they were wealthy. They were wealthy. They had everything. You guys, so in, in, during this passage, if you guys want to go and look at it over the week, we don't have time to look at the whole passage, but it, it talks about how many things that they had and all the stuff, and, and that silver was so common in their, in their nation. They were so rich that silver was worth nothing at that point. They, the only thing that was really worth something was gold. And that's, that's crazy. Kings would come from all over the region, from Egypt, from different places. They would come and they'd be like, hey, like, give me some wisdom. 
I heard you're really wise. Give me some wisdom. Give me something. They would bring gifts to him. They would bless him. They would do all these different things to him. He, King Solomon was the man. He is the manifestation of all of our dreams of all of our aspirations, those of you who are, who are aspiring for the good things of this world. He was the epitome of all these things. He was blessed amongst men. He was blessed amongst God. He actually built the temple of the Lord, the thing that, that God had been trying to prepare for hundreds of years. He, first, God was in an ark, and he built, put his presence there, and he said, one day there will be a, a city, and there will be a temple that I will do, put my presence in. And then David thought he was the one to do it, but no, he's like, your son's going to do it. So King Solomon actually builds this grand, amazing, big temple, and, and all of Israel— you guys, are you guys following me here? Okay, so all of Israel is coming—I got to hear some feedback. I, like, I got to feel like we're having a conversation, because if not, I'm going to feel lonely. So— um, King, all, all of Israel, the whole nation of Israel gathered at this one place and, and they consecrate the temple and he consecrates the people and they do the sacrifices and then God speaks from heaven and he's like, you are blessed. I bless this temple. I bless your kingdom. May it reign forever. Like, all this happens. King Solomon is the epitome of the human existence. He's the wisest man to ever live. He's rich beyond measure. He has everything. But how many of you guys know that that wasn't the end of the story? That he had a little bit of a cliff dive. Um, so Solomon's downfall, anybody know what his downfall was? You can shout it out. Women. Solomon's downfall was women. Oh no. Oh no, Solomon. Oh no. No, 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 no. Um, so his downfall was women, and not, and not just because, I, I want to really highlight this, because a lot of times, like, um, that, that's, like, that's what I actually put right there, too, women, right? But it's, it's not necessarily the women. It's the way that his heart turned away from the Lord. Let's, let's, let's read it really quick. Um, this is going to be uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, um, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to look at, so keep in your minds, as you read, so 1 Kings chapter 11, Verse 1. So keep in your minds everything that I just said, that all that happened to Solomon in his early life and midlife, and we'll see what happened here. So um, we're good? We got it? Okay. Uh, So King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. These are are, uh, people groups and and different uh, tribal groups of around Israel at the time. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Why must you not intermarry with them? Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700, everyone say 700? 700 wives of royal birth and 300, say 300? 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives." who burn incense and offer sacrifice to their gods, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. 
So you guys remember, <laughs> like, just ingest that for a second. Um, you guys remember David, right? So David had an issue with women, too. David also married more than one woman. David lusted after one of his best friend and his, and his greatest general's wife, Beersheba, lusted after her, had an affair with her, and then to cover it up, killed off one of his good friends and the general, and married her. So David also had, had, some, had some issue with, with self-control. But so, so it's not necessarily the, the thing in itself that, that, that disqualified Solomon from, from intimacy with the Lord. It was what turned out from there. So it said—it's funny because so both Solomon and David had the same issue, but it says here in verse 6, six uh, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. David came back to God. David did not turn too long away from the Lord. And I want to key in on this because I think that sometimes we think that our sin disqualifies us from intimacy with God. It is not the sin that disqualifies you. It is the thing that, that the shame and the guilt that makes you run away from God. You guys remember in, in, Genesis, in Genesis 3 when, when Adam and Eve had sinned and, and the Lord was asking where they are. You guys know that he's not coming to just condemn them. He's coming to search for them because he loves them. That, that God pursues us in the midst of our sin, not to, not to throw shame on us and not to condemn us, but to draw us back to him. There may be some consequences of our sins, but God wants to draw us back to him, and that's what happened with David. There were some consequences for David's sin, but he came back to the Lord. Solomon did not, and he allowed his lusts and his desires to turn his heart from the Lord after all that God had done for him. Some of you may be able to relate to that. So Solomon, late in life, so all this happened, like he was, we start at the beginning. Sorry, you guys are seeing from this side. Start at the beginning. All this stuff happened, fell from the Lord, kind of drew away from intimacy with the Lord. And then we're at the end of his life, and he starts to write this book called Ecclesi— Oh, yeah, he did Proverbs. <laughs> thank you, thank you. He did Proverbs. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I threw you guys out in the open there. Uh, he, he, Ecclesiastes is, is what I'm going for, though he did write Proverbs. Um, so Ecclesiastes, um, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This is Solomon late in his life, kind of when he's reflecting back, looking out at the world, thinking about things. Now remember that this is through the lens of someone who had intimacy with God— and no longer felt that he had intimacy with the Lord anymore. So he says, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So Solomon said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I survived all that my hands had done, surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So key in on this part, Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, I denied myself no indulgence, aka he followed a lot of what's. <laughs> and like we just said before, like you get, you get your understanding of purpose through what you follow. He followed a lot of different what's or a lot of different gods, as literally he says here. So there's many gods out there. They may not look like Molech. They may not look like the god of the Ammonites the God of the Hittites these days, but they look like something different. It's the same concept. It's both something that God created and something that we've turned and carved into something and we've worshipped it and we've allowed it to give it our purpose, but it never satisfies. So there are many gods out there nowadays. They have the name of money, happiness, success, status, sex, 
all these different gods that are out there, they have different names, but they serve the same purpose nowadays. And so if we find our purpose in light of these, so I want, I want you to get this. Though, these things are not bad. The things, I just, the things I just mentioned, money, happiness, success, status, sex, all these things, they're not bad in and of themselves. God created them to be good. It is us with our wicked hearts that have turned them into certain images and have started to worship that thing instead of to worshiping him who made it for our good. And it's the same thing. In the Old Testament, what they would do is they would make things out of gold. They would make things out of wood. They would carve it up. They would make it up. And they would say, this is now the God that we will worship. This is the God that we will trust in because we can see it. We can feel it. We can know it. But God's like, no, like I made that. Yes, I made the wood. I made the tree. I made the gold. And it's for your good. Don't use it to to make an image out of it and bless it and, and worship it. It's the same concept. It just looks a little bit different nowadays. And so if we find our purpose in light of these things, we can indulge in them all we want. We can. We've been given free will to do so. But the beautiful thing is, is that the way that God has carved us and and knitted us and and made us to endure, he, he made it in such a way that he doesn't just have to come and intervene and say, hey, that's bad. We know deep down it isn't what satisfies us. We know deep down that it's not going to fulfill us. We know it. God doesn't have to come and say, that won't fulfill you. Try it long enough and you'll find out. It won't fulfill you. Solomon had every, I want you guys, maybe some of you say, well, I I won't know until I get that million dollar check. Like, I won't know until I get that mansion on South Beach. Like, come on, Lord, like, test my heart. Let me see if I can, if I can be constant. Listen, Solomon had it all. Women, status, money, power, happiness, flavor from the Lord, favor from people, favor from other kings. They weren't even in war. And it was meaningless because his heart turned away from the thing that gave it all purpose. So, um, so they will never satisfy us. I, I, I want to use a different analogy. It's, it's a little trivial, but we'll go with it. Um, so I was big into video games when I was a kid. Um, I, I played a lot of sports, but I loved me some video games. I wasn't the guy that did like the shoot 'em up games or like Call of Duty. Like my brothers played those, but I loved some sports games like NBA Live, NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, all those different types of games. Some of you who play them, give, give me a shout out. Okay, a couple of people, a couple of people played it. Okay, cool. So you're going to understand what I'm doing. You're going to understand what I'm saying. So I would play these games so much so much, because I was so bent on, on winning all these games. So I would do all the different things. Like I would play, do the, the mode that was like the create the my player. And so you'd create your own player. You make him look like you and all these different things. But never really looked like you because he was like six seven and like huge. So it didn't really look like me. But so I would create him. And then like you started off like really bad. Like you were really sucky and you were like not even on the team. And then you had to earn your way and play all these games and do all the practices in the game and all these different things. And it's so serious, right? Um, and then at the end of the time, I think it was just like NBA 2K12. I got so good at it. Um, it's 2012, if you guys don't know. Um, so I, I was so good at it, and I got to the pinnacle of it. I created my guy. He was like 99s in all the categories. He was perfect. He was perfect. He just dunked over everybody. He shot all the threes. He, he made everything. He was perfect. And then, like, if I look back on it, I don't even know where that game is anymore. Um, it's probably somewhere in a basement, probably somewhere at a Goodwill. I, I, I don't, maybe at a GameStop, we turned it in for pennies. Um, it, it doesn't matter. I put so many hours and so many days and so much effort. I would like cry after I lose the game. It'd be so serious. And for what? Like, say I kept the game, the console's going to break or it's going to be outdated. The, the CD will break at some point. It was all 
just crumble before my eyes as I grew older. And so I think we can laugh and like, yeah, that's really silly. Like, why would you ever do that, Nick? Silly 11, 12, 13-year-old. And then we get a little older, and we do the same thing. We just call them careers. And we just call it money and our pensions, and our 401ks, and, and everything. We just got to get to the next level. We just got, we got, we got the Honda Accord. Oh, now we need the Mercedes. Now we need the BMW. Then we get a little older and a little richer. We get the next nicest car, nicest car. Got to keep going up. And if you have those things, I'm not, I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying that we put our, our wealth and our, and our hearts into these things. They're purposeless. I saw a picture of, of like the fanciest car back in like 1923. It was the it was the nicest car. Like, all the millionaires rode it. That thing is in a barn, rusted and done. That thing is done now, 100 years later. A little bit less than 100 years later. So we do the same thing. We think it's so funny. We, we, like at Chuck E. Cheese, right? You know, we, you, like, you see, you ever laugh at, like, your kids that, like, get so stressed out? They're like, Dad, I need more coins. Come on, I need more coins. I gotta get the, I gotta get the little... Like you guys remember what I think Abdi did that a couple, couple, couple months ago. It's like I gotta get the little whistle. Come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. I got. And then we do the same thing as we get older. We laugh at it and we think it's trivial and silly and ridiculous. And we do the same dang thing. So, with that, I think we all know, <laughs> we all know that we have purpose, um, and we all know that we have desires and hungers that these things, this world just can't satisfy. So we'll go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, it's verse 11. And so this is, this is Solomon again. In the mid, just a chapter after he said everything sucks and is meaningless. Chapter 3 verse 11. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And this is the key of why these things won't satisfy us. Because we have something within us that endures. We have something within us that is everlasting. We have something within us that, that doesn't die. And so we can put our hope and our dreams into these things, and when they die, our purpose is now like, what, what, what happened? You guys ever wonder why death makes us so uncomfortable? Like, even beyond the grief, even beyond the pain and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the suffering that goes with it, like, just the idea, like, hey, one day, like, I'm going to die. Like, one, there will be a day on this earth that I will no longer be here. And even my kids, like, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, at some point, like, they'll forget me. Like, at some point, like, if I'm not, like, Henry Ford or something like that, like, I'll be forgotten. And, and that's, that really bothers us. Like, the, you know, like, people that really want to leave legacies, like, really want to be the next Steve Jobs and really want to be the next Michael Jordan and stuff like that. They want to leave legacies because they don't want to die. They, even, like, even if I die, like, my, my name, this thing, because there's something so uncomfortable with the idea that, that there's a time and that there's a, there's a mortality to us because God has set eternity in our hearts. We weren't made for that. We were made to endure. We were made to endure. So God's purpose for your life, it ruins you for anything else. His purpose for your life, it just ruins you for anything else. Nothing else will satisfy, especially after, especially if you're one of those people that have had intimacy with God, that have, that your eyes have been opened and you know the Lord and, and you, you walk with him. And if it, any of you like maybe tried to walk away and it's just like there's something within you, like you can try, 
You can really try, but like it's even more so than the rest of us. Nothing will satisfy you because you've already tasted in a very real way the goodness of the Lord. And you could try to walk away. Like I, I had periods in my walk where like going for weeks when I'm just like not talking to the Lord, not being with the Lord. And like it's just something that just pulls you towards him because nothing else is going to satisfy. And everyone can, can, re- can relate to this. Even if they don't understand it, they can't put a, 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 a pin on it. They can't put a symptom on it, but they understand it. Nothing satisfies. And I think Solomon is going through a very real thing here. He understood intimacy with God. He had everything. And then he's getting older and he's like, for what? My son is wicked. God told me I'm gonna lo- he's going to lose my kingdom. It's going to split in half. Like, what's it for? And so to my second point here, it's like, man, that was one point. Um, to my second point, outside of God, everything is meaningless. Outside of God, everything is meaningless. But with God, everything matters. Now, this is really what I want. This is really what I want to get to. Like, everything matters. I feel like some people don't understand. Like, not, not, they understand it, like, like, very, like, obviously they can read. You guys can read. Um, but, like, the idea that, like, it really does matter. Everything really does matter. And so, let's look at Colossians 3. Uh, yeah, we're going to go to Colossians three seventeen, and then we're going to go to Colossians three twenty three and 24. So um, this is, this is uh, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the church of Colossae, and he's saying, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. And he goes on six verses later, <laughs> as if they didn't get it. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, I, I want to talk about it really quickly. So, I, some of you may be like, okay, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like, Nick, I, I can't relate to that. Like, Nick, you work at a church. Like, Nick, it's really easy for you to understand purpose in the context of your life because you work at a church, like, right? Like, you just read the Bible and pray all day. That's all you do, right? You just, you just pray for the congregation, and you just, you just have intimacy with God all, all the live long day, and you don't understand my walk. You don't understand my life. I have to go to work. I have to be with heathens all day. I got to go to my families and be with more heathens. No, I'm kidding. Um, I got to go to my families and, and, and be a parent or, or be, a, be a kid, and, and just all these— I got to clean the house. I got to mop floors. I got to do all these things. Like, what's the purpose in that? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, so I, I didn't always work at DV, right? I didn't always work at Doral Vineyard. Before I worked at Doral Vineyard, I, I was living in Maryland, and I worked at a grocery store. Uh, it was a good grocery store. It wasn't a crappy grocery store. Um, but I was, a, I was a cashier. I was a part-time cashier, um, and I also did different things. I did the cafe. I, I, I pushed the carts. Um, and then I, eventually I moved on, and I became part of seafood. I was at the seafood department. And so, as you can imagine, um, I had some of those moments sometimes. Like, I would, I would go to church, like, Sunday morning, and then I'd have to go, like, right to work. So, like, Sunday morning, I'm, like, reading these scriptures. I'm like, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Because I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, I, have to, I get to be in the glory of the Lord, like, praising Him, hearing the sermons. Like, it was so good. And then I got to go, and I got to, like, beep, beep, beep. 
be like, it's like, where's the glory in that? Like, what's the point? And then, you know, I go to seafood, and everything stinks in the back. Like, everything's cold, and, and then I get put on, on cleaning duty, so I got to go back in that warehouse and, like, mop all the blood and all the scales, and it just stinks. And then I go home, and I stink, and it just, it's like, ugh. Like, oh, some of you can relate to that. Some of you are like, yeah, I got a job like that too. I'm praying the Lord puts me in a church. Um, so I want you to know that, that those verses, like, kept me going. Those verses allowed me to endure through those mundane days where you just feel like, man, like, ah, I don't feel the glory right now. Like, I don't know what's happening. And so it's not necessarily, so actually, let me go and give you a, a C.S. Lewis quote, because C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. If he's not your favorite author, just read a book of his other than the Narnia books, and I think you'll agree too. Um, so he has a quote here, and he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. I know sometimes, like, what is that, how does that connect with what I'm saying? Um, I know sometimes it's really easy to say, like, this world sucks. Let me just wait for the next one. Like, this world is hard. This world is, is tough. It's not glory all the time. I just want to be in the place where there's glory all the time. But I want you to know that if you constantly are thinking about that world, it will enable you to be effective in this world, that it's not just a place for you to wait. This is not a waiting room. God has not killed you. <laughs> yeah, God has not killed you. I was like, wait, did I say that right? Yeah, God has not killed you <laughs> because you have a purpose still on this earth. So if you have been saved, and if you know the Lord, and if you have intimacy with God, then why are you still here? Because you still have a purpose here. God isn't so wicked that he would save you and redeem you and, and redeem you and give you a taste of his glory and his goodness, and then just keep you here just to keep you here for no purpose, no meaning, no reason. It's for you to have a purpose here. And so those type of things, and, and so a lot of times I feel like sometimes we can be like, I just want to go to the next world, and I don't want to do anything here. I don't really want to move here. I just want to continue to be in the throne room. But I got to tell you, the throne room equips you to go outside of it. That in this world, that it is not the throne room, but God's kingdom comes here because he thinks it's pretty important to be here. He came down as a person because he thinks it's pretty important to be here. So I want, I, if, if, and I'm speaking this to myself too because I have those days too sometimes. I promise you, just because I work at a church doesn't mean I don't have those days where I'm like, Lord, like, when are you coming? Like, when are you going to come back? I can't wait, you know? But, but at the same time, as it says in Scripture, like, he hasn't come back because he is merciful. He hasn't come back because there are still those that he wants to reach. And who's going to reach him but us? Who's going to reach them but us? And so I, I know that sounds lofty, but I want to read it again. So if you read history— you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. So I want to encourage you, like, don't, don't, like, neglect your time in the throne room of Jesus. Like, don't neglect your time with God. Don't neglect being with the believers, but let that fuel you. Let that equip you to go and make him known everywhere. So for most people, um, a calling, so this idea of purpose and calling, so I, I really want to attack that right now. Um, it doesn't come necessarily at first. It's not, for some people, it's pretty easy. Like, for some people, especially in Scripture, like, it's like, you're going to be a prophet, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and it's easy, right? But for some of us, it, it and, and for some of the most, some of you can maybe raise your hand if you're like, well, ah, I don't know if that happened to me necessarily. Um, you kind of are just walking into it that it comes as the Lord instructs, that you guys remember, like, when Jesus said, like, 
like follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Like they had no idea what that meant, but they understood follow me. So they're like, okay, today I'll do this with you. Today we'll go to Capernaum. Like today we'll go to Sea of Galilee and today, no. Um, and t- the next day we'll do something else. And then as time went on, as they just began to just watch Jesus and follow Jesus, because we understand that we, the first point, that we find our purpose in light of what we follow or who we follow. So as they just began to follow him, the purpose became very clear. And as time went on, they, it began to make more sense. He even died, Jesus even died and resurrected. And some of them are still like, what is happening? I don't even understand. And Jesus is like, okay, okay, you guys have to get this now because I'm about to ascend into heaven. And so finally they get it and they still go, they walk. They don't really know what's going to happen. They don't know that it's going to reach Europe and it's going to reach Asia, Asia and Africa. They don't know that yet. They're just like, okay, Lord, like, what do you want to do? Like, okay, we'll be in the upper room and we'll just pray. We'll just pray. We'll just expect God to do something. And he does something. And just step by step, moment by moment, day by day, with obedience to the Lord, the calling became very, very clear. So I want to, that's an encouragement to you, to, for those of you who maybe feel like, I don't know what it looks like. But, um, so I want to, like, really quickly, my car. Um, I, have a, I have an old car. This, a little story over here. I have an old car. It's a 1998 Honda Accord. And that thing has been a thorn in my side since the day I got it. That thing has given me so many problems. It hasn't died on me ever. Like, praise God that I haven't been stuck on a highway ever. But that thing has given me so many issues. Um, And it's funny because as I was reflecting on this and, and thinking through and praying through it, God reminded me, like, hey, like, that had a purpose. Like, you always having to go and fix your car. Somebody asks me a question. They're like, hey, like, my my steering wheel's messed up. I can't really turn. And my steering fluid is, like, going out. And I'm like, yeah, your rack and pinion. Easy. How many of you guys know what a rack and pinion is? Like, so I feel like as some of you guys can relate to that story, some of you guys can relate to other times where God just puts you through situations, or you just go through situations, and God brings purpose into it, and now all of a sudden you have some, maybe some skill, or just at least some knowledge to be able to help the next person. You are, you are getting trained by the journey. This isn't just nice titles that we come up with. This is real stuff. So think about in your own life, things that, that God has just given you, equipped, equipped you with things. You're just like, I don't really know why, but maybe there's purpose out of it. A a, a cool man, an awesome man told me that he broke every single rule in the financial book and that it taught him how to be a good financial person. It taught him how to understand finances better. So really quickly, so I just want to talk about what that looks like, purpose, what it looks like. It maybe look different in your context, but there are certain things that we can all do. So let's jump right into it. So make disciples of all nations— of all nations. That just means, and, and as Jesus says, he says, go and make disciples. But in the Greek, we understand that it's like, as you go. So it's like, as they're walking. You guys remember Philip, that he was on the road, and he just saw a man. They're like, hey, like, I don't understand. Can you help me? He's like, okay, sure. And he didn't understand what was about to happen, but that guy got discipled. He got saved. He got baptized. He understood the scriptures. Then he went back to his hometown and started something new. So as you go, there's some different things I want to say. God's will for your life. Some of you are like, what's what's God's will for my life? I'm going to go through it. Rejoice always. Follow me here. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Live by the Spirit with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Don't speak evil against 
against one another. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, and finally, submit yourselves to God. This is purpose-driven character. You say amen. This is the stuff that all those were instructions given in Scripture. Just the New Testament, just the letters. If you are kind of wondering, how do I live this purpose-filled life? That's a good place to start. Ask me after the service. I'll send you that list. It's pretty—I'm not saying it's pretty easy. It's easier said than done, but the Lord will give you purpose if you walk in such a way. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a person that works at a church. It doesn't matter if you work in the back in a warehouse with fishy scales and nonsense. It doesn't matter if you're an accountant. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter if you're a scientist or a businessman. These are the things that you can do to make God known wherever you are. And so the third point I want to get to. So the question is not— what is my purpose? But how do I live out my purpose in the context God gave me? So the question is not what is my purpose. I feel like God has given, spoken plenty about that, that he's given you as much as you need to know and even more than you need to know for how to walk with him. But how do I do it in the context God gave me? So really quickly, um, a lot of, I know a lot of times, and this is, I, I kind of wanted to share this because this is really near and dear to my heart and, and a heart of a lot of the millennials that we put a lot of our identity in things and a lot of our identity in careers. But I want to say right now, your career is not your purpose. Your career is not, wait, what? What? Your career is not your purpose. Even if you are a pastor, your career is not your purpose. You're, you were purposed and called to be a pastor before you ever got ordained. You were ordained by the Lord before you were ever ordained by man. You were given pastoral gifts and abilities, even if you're not a pastor. God has equipped us. He says that we are all the royal priesthood, that he has given you a purpose that goes outside of your career. I know a lot of times you think, well, my purpose is just to be an accountant. Well, my purpose is just to be a trash shoot guy. My purpose is just to be an executive at this business. I'm going to tell you that if your purpose is just that, it will fail. It will die. You'll get fired. You'll get laid off. You'll retire. And then you won't know what to do with yourself because your purpose was found in the thing that won't last. As we all understand, we were made to endure. He's put eternity in our hearts, and these things are not eternal. They are far from eternal. So purpose is not found in any of these things. If you're a student and you're working for that bachelor's, I am too. Work for that bachelor's. Get that A. Get that B. But don't put your purpose in it because it will fail. I got an associate's a couple weeks ago. I congratulated myself, my family. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But... It is now in my room collecting dust. I haven't even framed it. I'm like, all this money, all this effort, all this time. I put so many, put all these years into it. And it's, it's gaining dust in my room now. I need to dust my room more often, hopefully, I guess. Um, it's gaining dust in my room. So if my purpose is found in that thing, even when I get a bachelor's, even if you get a master's, a doctorate, if your purpose and identity is found in that thing, it will fail. That certificate won't come with you when you go. It won't come with you. That You could put the paper in the coffin, but it won't come with you when you go. So your purpose can't be found in these things. So wherever you are, act as if that is your calling for now. And stop waiting for the next thing. Because I think it's so easy to say, okay, like I'm just a sales rep right now. When I become a manager, then I feel like I'll have enough clout to really 
be myself and be with the Lord and, and understand people. God, when I just get that raise, then I'll be able to, to be generous. God, when I just do this, then I'll be able to, to, to help people out and to, and, to, and to give to the church. God, if I just get this, then I'll be able to do this thing. Act as if right now where you're at is your calling. Like, for me, like, I had to tell myself this when I was, when I was fishing, like, getting the scales off these fish. I'm like, yeah, like, unto the Lord, unto the Lord. I had a friend who did an internship at this lab, and, and all she did all day was just clean beakers. Just, like, hundreds of beakers for her internship. And at some point, she was like, okay, this sucks. So, you know what? Every single beaker I'm going to do, like, Lord, this is for you. Lord, this is for you. Lord, this is for you. Bring purpose into where you're at now. Don't wait for the next thing because the next thing will always be the next thing. Tomorrow is elusive. Tomorrow never comes. Then it becomes today and you'll forget about it. Don't wait for tomorrow. Start living purposefully now. Be purpose-driven in the here and now, right now. April 23rd, 2017. There will never be another April 3rd, 2017. 23rd, 2017. There will never be another day as today. There are people out there that need love. As Cody was just sharing, it doesn't mean saying the scriptures, being like, hey, like, if God is telling you to do that, then you could do that. But maybe it just looks like being nice. Maybe it just looks like a smile. Maybe it just looks like being tender and gentle to somebody. The Lord moves in different ways. There's not a formula. As you can see through scriptures, he does one thing here and another thing there. and they're like, Jesus, you're confusing. You say you're going to bring a sword and division. You're going to come with violence at the end, but then you're a lamb, and then you're peaceful, and you don't say anything, but then you forgive people, and then you say that these people are condemned. What is happening is like there's no formula. Be intimate with the Father and understand it. Stop waiting for tomorrow. It is today. It is here today. Purpose is here for today. I want to keep going. Um, Yeah, so not every person is called to be a church pastor or an overseas missionary, but every person is called to pastor and be missional. There's a, there's a, I don't know if you guys have seen the the, the Verizon ad, um, that's like, it's like LeBron James, and then there's like a model, and then there's like this other person, and it's like, and LeBron James, who I I love, by the way, I hope he wins wins the championship this year. Um, LeBron James is like, we don't need more athletes, we need more scientists. Like, we need more business people. We need more accountants. And then the models, like, we don't need more models. We need more teachers. Like, we need more nonprofit workers, different things like that. And so I want to say that the church will continue, but <laughs> we don't need more pastors to come and stuff up the churches. We need more pastoral businessmen. We need m- more pastoral teachers. We need more pastoral scientists. We need more pastoral architects. Like, we need more of those. <laughs> there are plenty of pastors. And if you're called to be a pastor, then be a pastor. But, but don't feel like you don't have purpose outside of the church because God just called you to be here to equip one another, to love one another, to be in a small group with one another. Join the, see the small groups at the end of the service. To be in a small, to be, to do life with people. But this is not, this is not the thing. The thing is out there. The thing is out there that if you're called to be somewhere else right now, if you're not working in a church, which the majority of you are not working at a church, be pastoral wherever you're at. If you're just a parent, just a parent, right? I've never been a parent. I hear it's pretty hard. If you're a parent, do that unto the Lord with all that you have. If you're a maid, if if you work at a hotel, do that unto the Lord with every single thing you have. Fold the towels 
take those, take those scales off the fish, greet everyone with a smile, say, hey, how are you doing? How, how's everything? Are you happy? Are you okay? Is everything satisfied? Like, give it unto the Lord everything you have because we need more of those. Not more people like this on a stage. We need more people out there. And so, um, as, there, as it is, there are many parts but one body. I want to talk about, um, really quick, because I know I'm, I'm getting a little bit too long on time. Are you guys okay? You guys are okay? Cool, cool, cool. That's good, that's good. 1 Corinthians 12. I want to talk about the body, really quick. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, 20, sorry, verse 20 to 27. Some of you all have already read this, and you guys already know this, but it always helps to, to remind ourselves. So Paul says to the church of Corinth, As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there could be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of the body. Each one of you is called to make him known. I know some of you think, well, I'm not an overseas missionary, and I'm not a pastor, so where do I fit in this whole gig? There are plenty of spaces in the body. There are plenty of cells. Some of my scientists, how many cells are in the body? A lot? Way too many. There are plenty of spaces for you in the body to function and maneuver in. And it's funny because the head can't say to the feet, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the head. And he can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Because he, we under, he understands that, like, it is this relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is just this indispensable love. And that is the same part of the body. Like, if one of you rejoice, if one of you get that raise, it's like, yeah, like, let's, let's applaud you. Don't say like, ah, oh, like, I didn't get that raise, so I don't know if I can celebrate you because I'm going through a tough time. Like, come on, man. Like, support your brother. Like, support your sister. Like, jo- be rejoiceful when people are rejoicing. Mourn with those who mourn. Be all things to all people at all times so you can win them over for Christ. Like, this is the body type of stuff. This is stuff that I feel like sometimes we know, but it's hard to really do, and it's hard to really work it out. So faithfulness over fame. That's a good Twitter line. You can use that for your next Instagram picture. Faithfulness over fame. Everyone wants to be the next Martin Luther, the next Martin Luther King Jr., the next Mother Teresa, the next Billy Graham. But we are a body. (laughs) If you're a toe, be a toe. If you're the head, be the head. If you're the heart, be the heart. If you're the hands, be the hands. Be content where you're at. Act as if that is your calling. I know sometimes people think, well, I can't do everything. I can't feed the homeless and pray for the whole city and go to Europe where I feel maybe the Lord's calling me and do this and do that. It's it's okay. Like, you don't have to do everything. Be intentional about where the Lord has you. You don't have to do all the stuff. I feel like sometimes we want to be the whole body in just ourselves. And we don't need, and then we'll pray just for ourselves and we'll be self-sufficient in just ourselves and we won't anybody help us. And like, could you imagine if the foot tried to do that? Like, oh, I'm gonna just do, I'm gonna be all on my own. I'm gonna do my own thing. And it's like, no, like you're connected to the whole thing. Like, don't act as if you're disconnected. Like, if you're the foot, don't try to be the hand. It looks really silly when you start to do this. It doesn't make any sense. And I think this sounds trivial, but it's like, it's true. And so lastly, um, how to live, 
how to live. You take a deep breath with me. <sighs> it's good. I feel like I've just thrown a lot at you, and hopefully some of it sticks, throwing seeds everywhere. Um, how to live purpose-driven. So I, I shared with you all this different stuff. It's like, that's nice, Nick. Practically, how does this happen? So three things. One, be in intentional community. And this doesn't just mean have Christian friends. You can have Christian friends and not be in intentional community. You can know people that are Christians. You can have plenty of Christian people on your Facebook. You can write all the nice pretty things and put the cool images and, 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 and like all the comments, but that doesn't mean you're in intentional community. Be in intentional community. Small groups are a great way to start. If you're like, you're like I don't have anybody, I don't know anybody, Small groups are a great place to start. That is our heart for small groups, that you would be an intentional community, that you would be gathering once a week with a couple people that are going through similar things as you. They're, they're specialized for whatever you're walking through, that we can go together, we could read scripture together, we could pray for one another, we could, we could do life together because you are not meant to walk this life alone. You are part of a body, and the toe can't say to the other toe, I'm not a part of you, I can't be there tonight. And whether, whether you can be a part of a small group or not, be an intentional community and have those hard conversations. Sometimes it sucks. Your pride is going to be torn down. If they're real with you, your pride will take hits at times. It will. Like what, with humility. Like this is how people become more Christ-like. It doesn't just happen on your own. Like have intimacy with God on your own, but it comes really in community. Like when you have to really start butting heads with people, when you have to start really submitting yourselves out of reverence to Christ w with one another, when you really start having to pray through with things with people, when you have to suffer through things with people, like that is where the stuff happens. That's where the character gets to build. Be an intentional community. Um, and the scripture, John 13 35, Jesus says to the disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, this is key, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Like, crazy, right? By this everyone will know if you love one another. Everyone will know that you're my disciples. I think oftentimes the greatest uh, evidence for the existence of God is the Christian, and the, greatest exist and the greatest evidence against the existence of God is also the Christian. That a lot of people, they don't necessarily struggle a lot with the Bible. I know sometimes they try to put intellectual things to, to put fronts upon it, but the real thing, the real thing, that the real crux of why people are so afraid to, to come to church or why people just have some disdain for Christians is because they've had some real experiences with Christians and it's hurt them. They've butted heads sometimes with people. It's been something really nasty. Sometimes it's been a family member that's been so pious and so about the scriptures and about the Lord, but treated them like hell. So about heaven, but treated people like hell. And I know a lot of times, like, we're, we're going through stuff too. Like, we, we're just as broken as the next person. But please, please, in the midst of your brokenness, love one another. It is the testimony. I've been in groups where we just were loving each other. We were just being in community. We were just having Bible studies and getting together, and the group grows. Like, how many of you guys know that in the book of Acts— like, they were just gathering. They were just being with one another. They were just praying and eating and having communion and just worshiping the Lord. And then they would speak a couple times to some people, and the Lord grew it and grew it and grew it. There is something so attractive about such a love. 
And I think before you can tell people how much you know, people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care, is what I wanted to say. People don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care. So, second thing. So that's the first thing. Be an intentional community. Second thing. Know your gifts and do them. (laughs) Yeah. Know your gifts and do them. This may be hard for you. Some of you are like, I don't necessarily know. Like, are the only gifts just teaching and being a pastor? Let me, let me share with you Romans 12, verse 6 through 8. There are a couple passages that kind of give some clarity on some of the different gifts. These aren't the only gifts. There are more gifts, but some of these are just a list. If some of you can identify it, identify with it. So right here in verse 6, Romans chapter 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I I know it's one of those someone has, like, you at least have. Like, maybe like, ah, like, I don't know about the teaching. I, I don't feel like I know enough about the Bible and all that stuff. Like, you can show mercy. Like, you can love people. You can give encouragements. And if, some, and if you have a struggle with giving encouragement, like, as Paul says, like, ask the Lord for these gifts. Ask him for, like, God, I just have a hard time being loving and, and being merciful and, and engaging and being selfless. Ask the Lord. He, he does give gifts. He gives gifts to each one of us, each single person in here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, nine. Each one of you is gifted with a special combination of gifts. So ask the Lord what they are. Figure out what your passion is, what you really just love. Maybe it doesn't make sense in the context of what you think it might make sense. But do them fully, for he has made us a body. We're all different. We all have different combinations. And then the third thing, and this is the most important, as you guys can, sh- can attest to, cultivate intimacy with God. This really, like, if we're talking about purpose-driven, like, this is the engine. This is the thing that goes. This is the thing that really, like, at the end of the day, if you miss these, if you miss all the stuff that I'm saying, if, you, if, you've, if you've maybe been asleep or in a slumber, you can listen up here. Cultivate intimacy with God. It comes in a couple certain ways. One, read his word. Read his word. If you, if you have a hard time understanding his word, then you don't have to read the King James Version. <laughs> if you have a hard time understanding Shakespeare, don't read Shakespeare. <laughs> you can read the NIV. You can read the NLT. It's okay. God's not going to hate you because you read the NLT. I sometimes had a really hard time understanding certain passages in the Old Testament, so I picked a translation that maybe makes it a little bit easier, and I started to understand it. Whatever, wherever you're at, if you love the King James, then read the King James. Read, read the King James all day, and then read your Shakespeare after. But cultivate intimacy with God. Be in his word. Even if you don't feel like something's happening, I promise you something is happening. I've been going through, personally, the Old Testament, and there are just certain passages I'm like, what's happening here? Like, this makes no sense. But then just somehow, like, there's just maybe just one verse or there's one thing here where, like, you just see God's character come into the now and, and ask yourselves these questions every time you read. God, where are you in here? Where is your character in here? And what are you doing here? And I promise you that he won't leave those questions void. I promise you, be in the word. Be in the word. Even if you don't understand the Old Testament, you can start in John. John's a really awesome place to start. If you feel like you've read the New Testament 50 million times, but you're afraid to go to the Old Testament, go to the Old Testament. 
Go to the Old Testament. It will, when I first read the Old Testament, it gave me so much greater of an understanding for what Jesus was doing then in the New Testament. If you're having some trouble reading through it, ask a friend. We are a body. You're not meant to be all sufficient, all proficient on your own. Ask somebody next to you. Maybe the person next to you tapped them on the shoulder. Be like, hey, man, Bible study at Starbucks next week. Let's make it happen. If we can make that happen, that'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. And then prayer. Prayer. Like I was saying, like, ask God these questions. Talk with him struggle through these things with him, but then be real with him. You're not just a servant. You are a son and a daughter. I think some people need to understand that revelation that you're not just a servant, that though you, though you are a servant of God, you're not just a servant. You are a son and daughter, and the Father wants to know about you. The Father wants to talk to you. The Father wants to talk to you in the morning. He wants to talk to you at night before you go to bed. He wants to talk to you when you're really struggling at work, and you're like, man, this person's talking crazy. I'm about to flip out. I'm about to go off. Father, can you be here? Can you be right now in the midst of this? Cultivate intimacy with God. I didn't just say work to do all these different things. Intimacy, like know him. And he knows you. Like there's this beautiful thing that happens when you begin to understand God in the context of intimacy. It's not, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's costly. It's simple, but it's costly. And you can't do it on your own. Find people in your life that can encourage you to do it. If you haven't read the scriptures, be like, man, like I haven't read the scriptures. Or like, hey, like I'm, I haven't read the scriptures. Can you, can you help me? Like, I've really been struggling with it. Like, be honest with each other. Not all of us have everything together 24-7. You don't always have to have a smile. You can be real with each other. But don't be, as Paul says, in the sorrow that just leads to more sorrow and more sorrow. But be in the sorrow that leads you to God.